Hello and welcome to Thanks for the Knowledge, the weekly fanbyte news show, rounding up the headlines in games and entertainment in one handy podcast. I am your host, John Warren. This week, I sat down with our very own featured contributor, Natalie Flores, to talk about the Game Awards future class, uh, K-pop, Breath of the Wild, and a lot more. Please stay tuned for that. It was a wonderful conversation, and we went to some interesting places. But first, I chatted with news editor Imran Khan about our top story of the week. This week, Bloomberg reported that a new version of the Nintendo Switch, one of the games industry's worst-kept secrets, is on its way with a new Samsung OLED 720p screen and the capability to go to 4K resolution when docked. To discuss this news and what it means for the future of Nintendo is our wonderful news editor, Imran Khan. Hey, Imran. Hello. How's it going? It's going well. Are you ready for big, big boy Nintendo Switch? I am ready to for it to just progressively leak out more over the next year until it has to announce it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is. I guess I'll start by saying, like, this has been a thing that I, I, I do. You, what? When was the first rumor of this? When did this pop up? I feel like it's been a year and a half. Yeah, Takashi Mochizuki talked about it. I want to say early 2020, maybe late 2019. Mm, uh, mm-hmm. That he was like, "Yeah, there's going to be a new Switch coming," and everyone went, "Okay, <laughs> when?" And there's a collective shrug because Nintendo wasn't talking about it, but everyone else is at this point. So, yeah. Um, and we we've gone through a few phases here. We we had the light, uh, the Switch Lite announced and released, and I think a lot of us, myself included, kind of assumed that the Pro would be maybe something that was kind of lumped into that announcement. Nothing came, and then we even got the indication, I think, from a few sources that like we may not see a Switch Pro for a little while, but like. All signs for a long time pointed to this news kind of leaking out. And I don't know, were you surprised about how it leaked out? (laughs) So, yeah, this one, there's basically when a system is being in production, there become way too many moving parts to keep like tamp down on them all. So Mm -hmm. I like most likely dev kits have come out for this thing already. I've talked to a couple of developers who have like hinted at that exact thing, but I Usually what's going to happen is it's going to be the thing you don't think about. So in this case, Mochizuki got the uh, his leak apparently from the supplier, Samsung, or like some people adjacent to that who are saying, yeah, we're giving Nintendo this, this uh, screen with these kind of specs and you can kind of extrapolate from there or you can have more information to talk to other people about what exactly this thing is. So he was able to find out, yeah, there's going to be an OLED screen and there's going yeah. to be – it's going to be this – are uh, this size. And then that means for display outlet, we can talk about this and that. Like it's, it's an interesting thing for leaks to come out from that, uh, that arena, basically that alley of, Oh, right. We didn't really tamp down on the thing that thousands of people are working on now. (laughs) Yeah. It's so funny how that happens. So the, the screen itself on the switch, uh, we have to assume, I think that, the actual like model size of the switch itself will probably not change a whole lot because my guess is they're not going to want to do another round of joy cons like with different right. sizes of things. So the, the working would be a good assumption excuse for them is, to do so. Yeah. I mean, with all the drift stuff, it feels like maybe a time to maybe rework the, uh, come out with joy con pro or whatever that, yeah. that would make some sense. But we, I've seen nothing that indicates that. I don't know if you've seen anything that might indicate that they're doing that. 
No, in the screen size, like going from six point two inches to seven inches, it just sounds like they're filling in the bezels, so they probably just don't right. like have anything besides like it'll probably still be the same Joy Cons. But if yeah. they did choose to do it, this would be a good time to fix some of those like lawsuit style things that are happening with the Joy Con. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh IGN did some mock-ups this week that looked pretty much like I I think we just described it, moving the bezels a bit. It seems like that's probably what it'll look like. Um you can go check that out at that website if you want. I don't know. You, you don't have to go to IGN if you want. Unless you unless you want to read Reb Valentine news. That's like the only real reason <laughs> I would tell you to go to IGN. Uh I'm just kidding. But those the the mock-ups seem pretty um yeah, they seem pretty straightforward. I think the other part of it that is oh, maybe more interesting in the long uh, term is that it it says that they say that it'll go to up to 4K in docked mode, which indicates to me uh, a boost in processing power. But we see nothing from this latest report about that. So when do you think that might drop? And do you have any sort of speculation about what we could see? If, they, if that is the case, then I suspect that like once developers start figuring out what games to actually do or will actually be able to do that. And like, to what extent? So like, if it is just, yeah, this can do 4k, but we're really just talking about resolution and frame rate and not really that much in terms of like raw graphical processing power. Like people, one of the more interesting things about the switch is that unlike every other console, it is NVIDIA based. So if NVIDIA or NVIDIA has a very, uh, invest or invested interest in Mm -hmm. making sure this thing has its most up-to-date technology. So if they do have, like, for example, a DLSS thing, which, if people don't know, it is basically rendering something at a lower resolution but outputting it at a higher one, that if that's the case, which is what I suspect is happening, then you could get what is conceivably a switch that is not all that more powerful, but it does run at higher resolutions because essentially the AI is making it look like it does without being perceptible by the, you know, end user that I think would make more sense. Cause there's only so much you can do with that form function and you know, the heating, my switch already gets very hot in its dock. I don't know how yeah. much harder they can make it. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the things I've, I've, I've seen brought up is that the gap between docked and, uh, uh, handheld and docked right now is not as wide as the 720p 4k gap will be right. so there's some question about like there probably has to be some boost in processing power here which I, I, one of the things that you know I, you you've we've talked about pokemon a little bit we've talked about breath of the wild 2 a little bit uh pokemon legends arceus looked terrible when they showed it <laughs> on yes i mean the frame rate was chugging i mean we're talking sub 30 at pretty much every single moment of of that of that presentation breath of the wild 2 uh if rumors are to be believed is probably going to be a intensive game and breath of the wild the og you know my favorite game of all time happy fourth birthday or happy fourth anniversary i i love you very much breath of the wild (laughs) you do not always have the best frame rate so um how important do you think it is that they do kind of nail this kind of like higher fidelity higher frame rate uh, a machine going forward. And do you think that it will coexist with kind of the existing um, like switch architecture, or do you think there will be a shift to more of a next gen switch kind of mentality here? So uh, one thing I always hear from third parties, specifically about switch development is that it's very hard to port down games. It's not it, like mm. porting up easy. 
are not e- comparatively easy. Porting down is like you have to tear away at so many things that like you do just wait for a porthouse like Virtuous or uh, I forget the other one, but like porthouse to actually have time and space to be able to do this sort of thing. So I think having that extra bit of like, oh, we can run it a lower for low resolution, like pump it up helps them in that arena, but it's not going to solve the entire problem, especially as like games start taking more and more advantage of the PS5 and Xbox Series X as like baseline for console games. I think Nintendo realizes that they need to do something. So I imagine the Switch Pro probably does have a li- little bit more under the hood than just like a normal Switch with a better resolution. Mm-hmm. But like, I suspect the the kind of ports we see of like a Doom Eternal that are very stripped down versions that are playable. They, if you really want to play Doom Eternal and have no other options, like you can get it on Switch. Right. I don't think that's entirely going to go away, but I think it'll just like we're moving the gap a little bit so that yeah. it can now reach the PS5 without necessarily like in terms of ports, it can reach the PS5 right. without having to like without being cut off from it completely. Yeah. But yeah, it's in terms of how Nintendo plans to like handle this in the future in terms of their own games. I'm hoping it is primarily for frame rate. Cause even over the last year, like <laughs> there's been a, like, like you mentioned legends, which I guess is just incomplete, but also just, it looked like it ran real bad from that trailer. Like, yeah. uh, uh, age of calamity last year, a, a game I really yeah. enjoyed that game needs more horsepower than the switch allowed it. Yeah. So I, I hoping I'm hoping games like that, like uh, Splatoon three, looks a lot better than Splatoon two. I don't know if that's just right. because Splatoon two yes. wasn't using the full power of the Switch, or that they have access, or I, I'm sure they have access, or that they're showing us basically like Switch Pro footage, and the only way to get that game running at a 60 frame per second, uh, yeah, 60 frames per second frame rate is with a like better hardware. So right. yeah, I. I assume a lot of the 2022 games we've just seen, like Legends, like Splatoon, are going to be made with Switch Pro in mind first. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, one last question. If you had to guess when this thing is going to come out, when do you think it'll drop? Uh, that So there are factors that are partially in Nintendo's hands now and partially not. Uh, Switch is still selling really well. Yeah. If I were, like, they kept the Game Boy 1, the regular Game Boy, going much longer than they needed to because of Pokemon. So yep. I can see that same logic of we are literally selling out every possible unit thanks to Animal Crossing. Do we really need to put out a new console right now? So I could see, like, them pushing it to say March for those reasons. On the other hand, the longer, like, Animal Crossing was a godsend for them. They didn't have a whole lot to like release last year. Mm-hmm. If it weren't for Animal Crossing, Switch may have lost a little momentum. 2021 could be the year where that actually does happen. So maybe it does make sense to relaunch this year. On the other other hand, there is also a global semiconductor and uh, microprocessor shortage, which are things that are going to affect like not only like we've already seen it in the PS5 and the Xbox Series X, but like cars and phones and like priority customers like Apple that get very high volume sales from manufacturing are mm-hmm. going to be the ones that get those chips first because there are going to be, I would say 15 to 20 uh, iPhones for every switch sold or in every switch made, honestly. So it might be difficult to balance both the switch and the switch light and also add on the switch pro in terms of manufacturing for this year, if they're planning for a November launch, there are so many other factors that are, might be super out of their hands. 
the the Bloomberg report said something like they're aiming for a million a million a month starting right. in June in terms of production. Or yeah, about a million a month. That would put yeah. it at uh, by the time November, we're looking at like four million, five million. Probably that four, is just million. a bit. Yeah, it's barely on the edge of what I would launch a new console with in right. November. Like, because then that becomes the thing of people go to the store, they try to get a Switch Pro, realize that it's not there, and just don't buy anything. And that's yeah, that'll be yeah. bad, I mean, terrible for the bottom line. We're looking at the same kind of store shortage, maybe that we're seeing with PlayStation Five if they do that kind of volume. So yeah, it's kind of a weird. Weird situation that we're headed into, but it's uh, still exciting. I will buy a Switch Pro. I'll yes. tell you that now. Um, I definitely will. And I'll probably keep my OG Switch and put it in a different room in the house or whatever. So <laughs> it's just that uh, important of a piece of hardware for me. Okay, Imran, thank you for shedding some light on this. And uh, I'm going to go get some scones out of the oven. All right. Thank you. I really did have scones baking when I talked to Imran. They were maple scones. They were delicious. You can go to friend of the show, Liz Davenport's cooking blog at e2bakesbrooklyn.com for the recipe. It's really good. Uh, Speaking of scones, when I lived in Austin, Texas, I often attended weekend brunch showings of new movies at the Alamo Draft House and ordered either a bacon cheddar scone or a bowl of pork guisado. Over a six-year period, I probably saw 80 to 100 shows at the Draft House, a movie theater chain that gained a reputation for theme showings, airings of all Oscar shorts, which I always attended, uh, pretty decent food and drink options, and strict rules about texting and talking during shows. The Austin-based chain has expanded over the years into Los Angeles, San Francisco, Brooklyn, and even more places with franchising. This week, the company filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection on a voluntary basis to facilitate an asset sale aimed at replenishing necessary operating funds to keep the business afloat after a disastrous 2020 for movie theaters. The transfer of assets is being led by Altamont Capital, with funds from other sources including Alamo Drafthouse founder Tim League himself. Uh, The chain is coming off one of its most successful years ever in 2019 with the opening of the Los Angeles location, but COVID-19 tanked revenues for the Drafthouse and all other theater chains across the country. As part of this restructure, Alamo Drafthouse will close locations in Kansas City, New Braunfels, and the downtown Ritz location in Austin, Texas. An Orlando, Florida-based theater uh, set to open in the future will halt development as well. No other locations are scheduled for closure as of this recording, and the company released a statement the day after the filings uh, stressing this point. Uh, Even prior to Chapter 11 bankruptcy, not everything has been smooth sailing for the theater chain over the past few years. 2017 started a wave of problems for Tim League and the company when Harry Knowles, Ain't It Cool News founder and buddy of the company, was accused of sexual assault against several women, including some Drafthouse employees. Problems continued when editor-in-chief of Drafthouse-owned birth movies death blog, Devin Farisee, left his post after a string of allegations of sexual assault. Uh, Farisee was hired back quietly later in the year to write content for Alamo Drafthouse film festival Fantastic Fest. League started what he called a revamp of the company when these things occurred, but this was to mixed results according to many reports. Uh, Extensive reporting in 2020 from Kansas City independent publication The Pitch highlighted problems with the Main Street location of the chain, citing harassment and poor working conditions as problems employees routinely experienced. Now, of course, the Kansas City location is closing for good as a result of this restructuring, so we may never know where some of the loose threads from investigations would lead, uh, thanks to the pitch, deadline, and splinter for their reporting on the subject. 
My guest this week needs absolutely no introduction, so I'm not going to give her one. Hi, Natalie. How's it going? <laughs> Hi. This week's 99 Potion, you called me arrogant, and now you don't even give me an introduction. <laughs> okay, listen. All right. Let's rewind the tape. <laughs> My guest this week is fanbyte.com featured contributor and best person on 99 Potions, an RPG podcast. It's Natalie oh, Flores. Hi. Shucks. Well, if you say so, John, I can't yeah. just say no to that. Right. No, I'm <laughs> Hi. We, 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 we like, we like turn, we dialed up the hostility towards each other to like 12 at the beginning of this week's episode of 99 Potions. So trying to be nicer. You know what I mean? I do like that. Even when we dial up the hostility, our guests are still like, you know, I really love the energy here. Like, that was I the funniest thing I've heard in a long time. Yeah. Like we, we had Kat Bailey from Acts of the Blood God on this week and she was like, yeah, y'all's vibe is great. I was like, wow, that's cool because we called each other really mean stuff uh, for the first five minutes. Um, but that's just who we be. Um, Natalie, you, uh, you, you were part of a really cool thing that uh, I want to ask you about and our Discord is curious about. You're part of the Game Awards Future class, which we were super excited to see you named to that. But do you want to tell us how that's going? Because that's been more of an ongoing thing than I think I expected it to be, which is cool. Yeah, I it's also been more ongoing than I expected it to be. Like around the time that it first came out, um, my first college, my alma mater, reached out about like profiling me for a small like um, section where they highlight like alumni who have gone on to do like a variety of things. So at the time, I had said, "Oh, I, I think it's just it's just a nice um, you know mention on a website with a profile and uh, this kind of it, especially since." We're not in person. We're not meeting in person. So any, you know, I imagine under normal circumstances, I might have been invited to go to the Game Awards or something and would have been able to take a flight and go there. But we're not living in a normal world and we have not been for quite some time. So, (laughs) um, but yeah, and then the day after I had to turn in that interview, uh, I was actually emailed about how it would actually not be that and it would be much more ongoing than I expected it. So I was like, ah, oh, damn, um, can I still, <laughs> I was like, uh, is the deadline passed or like, can I still <laughs> revise my answer? And like, no, the deadline has passed. And I was like, okay. Um, but yeah, that's been a really cool thing so far. Um, what we've done is that like, Each month we are, or close to each month, we are having like sort of special guests to um, talk to us about the industry and their experiences. Uh, So for our first gathering after the initial big group call where we all met and stuff, um, our first uh, special guest was Reggie. Uh, Obviously, Reggie fills Amy um, from Nintendo. Please, please, Natalie. Fees on me. Fees on me. I'm, I'm sorry, Reggie. No, that's all right. It's just, a, it's just, a, it's great. And yeah, Brimwin High School alumni. Uh, yeah. Reggie fees on me. Anyway, wow. yeah. That's super exciting. I was really jealous that you got to hang out with Reggie. Uh, yeah, I'm, I, I was so nervous. Uh, I, I still don't know what to make of it. Like, I, <laughs> Unfortunately, I didn't get to ask my question to him because oh. we, well, so many of us had questions and it was a, it was like an hour and a half. So, um, 
we didn't all get to ask the questions that we wanted. And I hesitated because I was so sort of starstruck. Like I, everyone in there is older than me. So I'm still kind of like, I, I think some people, I, I think everyone was starstruck to an extent, yeah, but sure. I don't think I have as mature of a handle on it as the people who are older than me. Cause I was like, Oh my God, it's ready. Ah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but it, it was really cool. And he is so wise. He, um, he was talking about his experiences and I'm not sure how much I'm allowed to say, but, um, he was one thing that really stuck out to me from the conversation was that he told us all to find our superpower. And he, he started off the conversation by saying that and saying that, you know, for example, being a good editor is not a superpower. That's more of a vocation or like a job and a role that you take on. But your superpower and quote unquote is the special thing that you have. And I imagine, you know, it's a superpower, quote unquote, that you share with a lot of people in the world because there's no way that we all have a, an extremely unique superpower. <laughs> we all have different strengths. And um, I think those strengths tend to uh, sort of, I, I mean, it's, it's yeah, I think it's easy to find people with like your strengths if you sure. search for them. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't go as far as saying like my superpower is super unique to Natalie Flores. Like that would be, I feel like that would be arrogant to say, um, even though you did call me arrogant on 99 potions. <laughs> I'm bringing it up only cause like, yeah, I'm going to be living that down for like 10 years. Great. It's so funny. Cause I'm, I, if I sound bitter at all, I am not, I just think it's so fun to make fun of john with it because like while we were recording 99 potions john messaged me on slack like i'm really sorry that i called you arrogant i felt bad immediately oh no <laughs> i did i did i felt i felt i felt bad but it's like that's you know you've said so much so many worse things to all of us i mean on imran's <laughs> first show with us you said his uh his twitter handle is like you know something he should be embarrassed about which is like the best thing he should <laughs> which is amazing but that's how we do. That's how and we just do. before that call, funny enough, I had told you to fuck off. Yeah, and you did. Yeah. yeah. You did. And yeah. so I'm like, listen, I'm glad we're on the same page because immediately <laughs> after I said that, I was like, oh, no, I told John to fuck off. No, no I feel so it's, bad. No, it's fine. <laughs> I think we just, we see eye to eye on the way, uh, the way we joke, which is just, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what that is. I don't know if that's like a new thing. I don't know. I have it with some people that kind of. Your sense of humor just matches with mine. A lot, yeah, I, th I, would I think say. that's about our personalities it. match too. It, if I had been on that call with Reggie, I probably would have been the person on the on the call that assumed he went back to Pizza Hut. Like, <laughs> just to act like he acts like I didn't know what he was doing now, and just be like, "Well, so Reggie, when's the big New Yorker coming back?" Um, I say he could. Yeah, um, but yeah, and so that was a really cool thing that he said because it it definitely changed my frame of thinking um yeah because i think it, it's really hard to quantify especially to value soft skills in the ways that sure. they probably should we think so much in terms of what we can technically do and do in terms of practicalities but in terms of you know things like managing people well or you know having a sense for um the people you work with and their personalities and having a good idea of how to preserve like a certain environment. Like those are not things that we 
tend to put on like a, a job resume or like a job post where we ask right. for the qualifications and you're like, yeah, yeah. I want this from someone. I um, think, I think mm-hmm. that it's really interesting that he really focused on that kind of soft skill stuff. And, and I think he's right, you know, for yeah. what it's worth. Um, but I also think it's interesting because, you know, not to rehabilitate or, I don't know, talk up kind of like bosses or upper management too much, but it's like, I I think the real ones that really get there and have a lot of say over how a company operates. um, I I think we're lying. If we say that those soft skills are not most of that, like the ability to, I don't know, uh, to, to pull people in or the ability to motivate people like that stuff at a certain level in a company is really the stuff that I think is, the most valuable. So there's something kind of whack, honestly, about how the vocational hard skills are, are, I think, so, uh, such a focus of like your early career, which I think Mm -hmm. I feel like that they are, but really I think you need to be developing those soft skills, like from moment one, like, you know, you can, you can always find ways to motivate the people you work with or, uh, to support people if they're having a hard time or, or bring the best out of, uh, your coworkers. And I think like, um, I don't know. I I think Reggie's advice was actually very good in that regard. Yeah. So when you told me about it, I was like, well, well, okay, well, he's seems like every bit the leader that, you know, um, people kind of treat him as. So that, yeah, that's really absolutely. Cool. Cause like, I mean, your, your superpower as Reggie defines it, that's something that you will always take with you, right? Like you can have so many different jobs and vocations in life. My mom has been a machine operator, a supermarket cashier, a factory worker. Um, But she, I don't think she's ever really been given the chance to think of her soft skills and to really value them in the ways that I'm getting the opportunity to. And so, you know, like just from... From her, especially since my dad has more has had more of a steady job for the last like several years. Um, yeah, it made me think of that because it's like you can have so many different jobs and roles and each one will demand something different of you. But you're going to carry that superpower with you. And it's important to find out what that is and to nurture it. So uh, I did what <laughs> I did what felt right, which was rush to John and Steven, the Steven Straw managing editor at fanbyte.com. And I was like, hey, do you guys know or like have an idea what my superpower is? Because like, I'm like trying to figure it out. And so I haven't figured it out quite yet. But I'm sure at one point I will. I mean, and I couldn't you know, help but I, gush about you and Steven's own superpowers. Well, that, that was super nice. But it's like, yeah, it's, it's pretty, frankly, very easy to find six or seven things that I think you're very good at. And I think, like, it's a good exercise for, like, everyone to do. Like, whether they're, mm-hmm. um, you know, whether they're just starting their career or 15, 20 years in to kind of look at those soft skills and reflect on them. And even just ask people that you work closely with, like, hey, what what do you think is – is my kind of superpower, my soft skill. Like I I know it, like I know maybe to a lot of people right now that that sounds cheesy, but like Mm -hmm. I genuinely think it is better advice than I I just started watching Ted Lasso, that, that, uh, soccer show with, uh, (laughs) Jason Sudeikis. I know this is going to sound crazy, but like that, that show I think is better at teaching, soft skills, management and leadership than like six months of MBA courses. Like Paul Tamayo endorses it. And yeah. 100%. And, and it's, it's a comedy television show, but it's about kind of a fish hour out of water manager going to England and like, you know, managing a, a, a soccer club there. And like, you know, 
everyone kind of not really understanding what makes him a good coach, but like, it's really just about seeing talent and nurturing that talent and developing uh, communication skills, you know, across different, you know, communicating differently with one uh, person versus another, not taking things too personally. That's a really good point, Paul. Like, I think like leadership is such a, uh, overused and kind of like meaningless word, but like, I, I would like that conversation with Reggie and stuff like Ted Lasso even <laughs> to kind of redefine and uh, like reignite the conversation about what leadership is because like, it's not about just like, I don't know, making hard decisions or yeah. whatever or assertiveness. Yeah. Like that's the thing is that like, it really isn't about just these, um, I don't know. It's not what you see on like Mad Men. Like that's not how, or other workplace shows or, or whatever. It's like, you don't, you're not seeing leadership there. You're just seeing a set of skills and like kind of mean, uninteresting people. But it's like the realness is like, no, you have to work together with people and you have to like find what makes you good and find what makes others good and be open and honest about that stuff. So I don't know. I thought that was, I thought it was really cool that, one, the, the future class stuff was like, frankly, and I mean, this is my cynical heart. I thought it was going to be a mention on the show. And then it was just like, never going to come up again. You Same. Know? And, and like, I, I was really pleasantly surprised that they've, they've kept some events going and stuff like that. So me too. They, you know, they've credit. made it clear that they want it to be something continuous. Like we have a discord community where we're trying to plan like meetings and, you know, coffee hangouts and whatnot and where we have like different channels to talk about things and the future class seems to be something that they're just really invested in nurturing in the future so i'm sure that discord community will only continue to grow um but it is it's pretty cool to be part of the first future class i i honestly don't i don't know what i did to get in there but i'm i I'm, i'm there and i will I will take that honor. Well, pe- and that pe- privilege. People did what you do for other people. They talk about you and they spread the good word and stuff like that. I mean, I call you the shadow broker for a reason. So it's like, <laughs> I don't know. We, we talk each other up in these circles. So it's good. I think, I think there needs to be more of that. So it's good. Um, Natalie, I need you to explain something to me. <clears throat> what can I explain? Dear John? What's the deal with this murderer guy that you've been extremely excited about from dead by daylight? Oh my gosh. Um, so I haven't looked into it too much because I was waiting. I know. I, I, listen, listen, listen. I put you on the spot. I don't know who this person is. Who is this person in Dead okay. by Daylight that uh, it, it's a K-pop person, right? Yeah. So he is called the trickster. And so he, from what I know, he is a K-pop star by day and a killer by night. And so the Dead by Daylight people actually collaborated with a producer who <laughs> has worked with either BTS or UKIS, two two boy groups, um, either one or maybe both. I I'm, think it's both. I think it's yeah. both. It's so they B- went the extra it, mile. Yeah, it's UKIS it right. and BTS. It's UKIS and BTS. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the new survivor is like a, a trainee, which in the K-pop world is basically what you use to call people who are training under companies to debut, possibly in a K-pop group one day. Since the way that the system functions is that you audition for different companies. If you get accepted, you then become a trainee for anywhere between. 
uh, several months or maybe even less in some rare cases um, to several years, maybe even a decade. Hey, everyone. Welcome to my new segment, <laughs> Live Corrections with John Warren. I uh, put Natalie on the spot about Dead by Daylight, and she messaged me right after the show to correct the record about the new survivor, who is actually the Trickster's producer. Uh, she was once a rejected trainee who then got an unpaid internship at the company. We regret the error, and I'm sure she'll let me have it on the next episode of 99 Potions, our RPG podcast. Okay, carry on. So... Uh, yeah, that's how this the training system works. And then one day, maybe you get to debut. Depends on the company, depends on the size and how you, you know, <sighs> navigate that system and impress the people in the company. Uh, but how? as far as I know... Oh, that's go ahead, works. go ahead. Oh, the, yeah, that's... Uh, as far as I know, I think that's how I... I think that's what the survivor is. That's amazing. But I was waiting for the weekend to to look into it because I, I have some ideas no, for the future. I, and I yeah. I really like Dead by Daylight and I love reporting on it. Like the lore is so unnecessarily complicated. Like they did all this. They collabed with a <laughs> real producer in the K-pop industry. They um there are perks that the killer has. So each killer has a perk. And I know that one of them for this killer uh is a photo card perk and a photo card for K-pop fans is so with each album that you buy in the K-pop world, they are really good about marketing those albums and giving you incentives to buy physical releases compared to ways that I think the American industry and other music industries should take more note of. But essentially, so let's say I buy an album of a K-pop group that I like and that album will come like a probably like a photo book and I will get a photo card which is like a tiny little card that you can collect and that card will be either of one member or the whole group and essentially people make a hobby of collecting these some of them are super rare they go for like hundreds of dollars on ebay uh, i've made a few bucks selling a few that i wanted to get rid of of groups that i no longer am into uh, but i also like to collect uh, photo cards of my favorite members of groups so i i do have my own little baseball card like folder because they're they're roughly the size of a oh baseball God. card so uh yeah so he has a perk that is like a photo card and i thought that was just really cute there's also um there's just some really clever nods to you know just showing that they've done their research and that this isn't just trying to grab onto the phenomenon of k-pop which has been around for some time now but is becoming increasingly global as we know especially with the help of bts so i thought that was just such a display of how creative that team is and they just continue to outdo themselves in this realm because like last killer is this woman well well, they're twins but it's this woman who has like a twin embedded within her and she can sort of like pull him out and then launch him at players and then the baby will like latch onto you and grab you (laughs) and try to slow (laughs) you down and it's just such a creative game and it really speaks to why people love that game so much because they are so creative they are so willing to do Things that are not, I guess, typically associated with horror. Because one thing that I'm seeing a few people complain about is that they don't feel like this new killer is in line with, 
you know, conventional horror standards. But as uh, my friend Amy Hart at Gaming Magazine wrote a piece about today, it's even it makes him scary in some aspects because this is a killer who explicitly uses um, his, you know, his status as an attractive person, as an attractive celebrity to lure in people. And, you know, he'll laugh as he... Uh, you know, tries to hook people or he will flip his hair and things like that. And he looks really cute. Like the whole internet <laughs> is just absolutely dying for him. And she made some really wonderful points that I think are worth considering. Like maybe what makes him even scarier is that he is, you know, like K-pop idols are essentially products. They are marketed to right. audiences as products. And so to, you know, to have this killer like this that is using his attractive factor, his his inherent sort of identity as a, for lack of a better word, a commodity being sold to the public. Because that's how idols are treated a lot of the time, unfortunately. They are commodities that aren't allowed to publicly date. They aren't allowed to get into any sorts of scandals. They have to have a really clean image because they also serve as models for people in Korean society. Like, that I think is just a really interesting dynamic there. And I, I think it's just so cool and it's so unnecessary because you're not going to get all this lore when you're playing as him or playing against him in a match. Like you're not going to get screens telling you like, oh yeah, this is all his lore as a K-pop idol. And this is how he right. was heartbroken about like not being able to achieve his dream or something like that. Like, no, like this is all just stuff that you find on the wiki and that you find on his bio when you're in the character yeah. selection screens and whatnot. But this isn't reflected in the, you know, moment to moment gameplay, but they are so committed to doing this kind of thing that I, I think it just really speaks to why people love Dead by Daylight so much. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm about to open Pandora's box. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. How do I get into K-pop? Oh my god. Okay, uh John, that is <laughs> that is a very big Pandora's box. Um so give me give me like five actionable things I could do to get into K-pop. Okay, like, so it seems very overwhelming to me. Yes, I, I can imagine because hundreds of groups debut every year. Maybe like ten actually got the spotlight. And uh, several others just sort of either fade into obscurity or outright disband. Um, there's like a five-year cap, sort of an average of a cap on groups in terms of their survivability. Um, and it's, it's a really complicated system. Uh, I would So I would figure out first whether you're into boy groups or girl groups because the music is vastly different and so are the concepts. I, I think boy groups tend to have... Um, tend to have a little bit more freedom, which isn't surprising um, yeah. than girl groups and the concepts that they can execute and the public reaction. But I guess I would, I, I would show you music videos of really big groups like BTS, Twice, Blackpink. Um, there are different genres and there are different styles of music that each company is known for. So, like, have you heard of Blackpink, John? Yeah, I have. Yeah. Okay, so Blackpink are under YG Entertainment, which is known for housing acts like Big Bang, 21. Um, and so they have a more Western style of music that is easily identifiable mm. to stands of that company. Meanwhile, 
someone who is a stan of JYP Entertainment, because there's like a, a group of big four companies in the industry and a bunch of smaller ones. Okay, this is so complicated. Um, <laughs> I, this is great, Daryl. Like, I'm, lo- I'm loving it. I'm taking notes. But yeah, so like, if you're more of a fan of JYP, like I am, the groups in there, um, I specifically listen to only girl groups. I'm the only boy groups that I've listened to in a, in a sort of stan fashion, Besides one, you know, single song or like Super Junior and BTS, which are two of the biggest boy groups that have existed in the industry. But I pay a lot of attention to girl groups and I know basically every girl group out there. Um, So I really stand the girl groups of JYP and SM Entertainment. So those genres that they tend to give to their artists are not as, you know, like the styles are recognizable for JYP. in terms of like more catchy sort of bubblegum pop kind of songs, more upbeat um, and SM entertainment, their groups work differently. It depends on the group and their concept. And so finding a group that has a concept that you like is really important. Uh, but I think there are groups with universal appeal like BTS or Twice. Like those are those are arguably the biggest boy group and girl group respectively although you can say Blackpink is the biggest girl group and like not many people will fight you on that so um (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's it requires me sending you several songs that I like and being like hey do you like any of these tell me which of these you like and then I'll send you more because it is way harder to get into it now than when I first got into it which was over a decade ago back then there weren't as many groups but now it's like a new group comes out on a weekly basis you know and so it's kind of like a survival of the fittest in that industry because either the chances are that you debut in a big company over there and that you get the promotions that you need and the music and the money um and the sponsorship opportunities that being in a big company provides or you have like a chance of debuting under a small company and somehow standing out from the dozens and hundreds of groups that debut every year and only a few groups really get to do that so it's a complicated industry but I love it. It's uh, it's the only music that I listen to. Honestly, that makes me sound, you know, but like that <laughs> is the only music that I listen to. And it's really good for people who are depressed, I will say. Like it's just like really great music. And I think that's why K-pop is so popular because, I mean, not every song is happy, but generally there's a, a big focus on musicality and rhythm and you don't need to know the language in order to really sure. enjoy the purposely catchy beats like k-pop songs are engineered to be really catchy and to stay in your brain and i think that is very good for a depressed person like me because like i'll be like here crying <laughs> over school but i'll be like no way i need to like bop to this twice song yes or like this itsy song i need to so i love k-pop and so when <laughs> that was such a big surprise i had not seen any of the Teases. Apparently, there were teases, sort of alluding to the fact that this was going to be a killer from South Korea, and they were going to be in the music industry. So I, I would have put two and two together if I knew that, but I didn't. Um, so I was super <laughs> surprised, and he's really cute. I would let him kill me. So, <laughs> um, so That's it's totally perfect, fine. And there are other hot people in Dead by Daylight. Like, listen, there are so many people who stand and are attracted to Pyramid Head, and I right. get it. I know. 
Well, he's I yoked. He's yoked under that fucking steel head. Yeah. Thing. There's also this uh, lady called the Huntress. She is just yeah. really cool. I mean, they are so they are so creative about their original killers, and so this is just the next testament to that. But in terms of you know conventional attractive factor, like this is the most attractive one, and it's so easy to see why people are losing their minds over him. I mean, he's he cute, like. Oh, you can kill me. That's fine. <laughs> I don't want to live that much anyway. <laughs> I, I do want to live. Just go fine. ahead and just go ahead and kill me and delete my game. It's fine. Yeah, it's totally fine. It's totally um, fine of you doing it. So I have no problem. And yeah, just that game is so fun. I've been wondering why we haven't played it on Twitch or something. Yeah, we should. I mean, we we played a little bit of. Uh, oh, I lost it. Fan. Fan phasmophobia. Phasmophobia. God, I was about to say. Yeah. I get that. I get it. So mixed up with phantasmagoria and yes, uh, and, <laughs> and Final Fantasy. Yeah, right. I I never get it straight. Um, yeah, no. That was that, uh, we played it with Paul too. Yeah, was, uh, producing this episode. Yeah, that was the uh, <laughs> low key. That was my effort of being like. Hey, we should hire Paul. Let's get Paul into a stream yeah. so that we could all get together and see the vibes. Yes, Paul nailed it, as yeah. history knows. We do have now now that we've announced it, we do have very non-subtle ways of doing that. And that was definitely true. We were like <laughs> just privately to each other. It's like, yeah, let's get let's get Paul in. Let's play let's play uh, uh, let's play phasmophobia. Like let's just do I, it. My I favorite, sweet. I think that'll my sweet. favorite iteration was on this podcast. You and Imran being like, oh my god, that was so funny. Because Imran said that, and I was like, I don't even know why. Because I we hadn't had the conversation yet. Yeah, Imran said like, I think we'll have, I think we'll be blah blah blah. And I was like, wow, I can't believe you just said that. Because now, okay, well, all right. So I guess (laughs) it was such a not subtle. Like maybe we'll work together in the future. You're basically doing like like you know like mind telepathy and i was like wait john hasn't told me that he's had a conversation with imran but are they just that in sync and you were and now yeah, it, was wild. Here. it was great it was really good it's funny how that stuff works out um yeah. i was talking to imran earlier uh actually on the show um about the mm-hmm. new switch that's coming out um with the fucking big screen and the 4k and the blah 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 are you gonna buy another switch if they come out with a pro um, I don't think so because I I'm the type of person who I pride myself on taking really good care of my stuff. So I still have like the original 3ds or like the the original Damn. no the original DS. Whoa. Like, yeah, and it's still it is still almost in near perfect condition. If it wasn't for some thing that happened out of my control, I can't remember what it is, but I swear it was out of my control. Um, right. <laughs> that the the screen was like. Put, like taken off its like hinge on one side but it technically like it still works perfectly everything else is perfect and i still have my gamecube in mint condition my ps2 like all that wow. all my systems mint condition my psp mint condition so i'm not the type of person who tends to buy the new versions of consoles but i mean if y'all let my joy cons work i just might a bitch just might, because <laughs> yeah. the Joy-Con drift is real up in here. Like, I was, I saw someone on the feed today. I think it was Matt Kim from IGN. He got new Joy-Cons, and he was like, yeah, my old ones just, like, did not fucking work anymore. And I'm like, 
I'm still stuck with my old ones, and I they work, but, like, the Joy-Con drift in Animal Crossing was so real. So, like, if, if you all fix the Joy-Cons and... Yeah, I'm going to contact Reggie. Yeah, you got to tell Reggie. I mean, you yeah. got Reggie's number now. You got to call Reggie and make it Yeah, right. yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, if the Joy-Cons work and the performance issues are better, like sort of the... I know some people who played Breath of the Wild, which we've been talking about this week because I think it was the anniversary. Um, yeah, four years, yeah. baby. Yeah, something that I've been very scared to tell you is that, like, I think Breath of the Wild is really cool, but, like, I didn't really like it much. Yeah, no, that's fine. Listen, <laughs> you, and, you and Dylan are, like, the same. Uh, I, I I don't know if you've... I, I, you've I was so really nervous taught, about saying that even to probably, begin with. No, no, no. Dylan's really primed me to have this conversation with people because... Uh, I don't know if you know this about Dylan. You should talk to him about Dylan. You should talk to Dylan about this at some point, but he's, he's several years behind on his backlog and he <laughs> takes it very seriously. So unless he's playing it for work, he does not play. He's now in 2018. So he <laughs> will not play a game that is newer than that. Uh, unless he has to do it for work. So like oh he'd be God of war, not that long ago. And so, when we were working together in the office, like I was just waiting for him to get to breath of the wild. Like he had to get through near automata first. He had to get through like uh horizon zero dawn first. <laughs> like he had to get through these like big beefy games. And I was like, you just got to get to it. Got to get to it. And he was like, all right, I, I'm I, on like a Friday. He's like, okay, I've gotten to it. I'm going to play it over the weekend. Blah, blah, blah. It comes in Monday morning. He goes, there's no direction in this game. There's no checklist. I hate it. I'm not going to play it anymore. <laughs> It's like, oh I can't even, which imagine. is the point of it. That's the know? point. Right. It's the point. Um, but I but still didn't like that. No, I just didn't like that. He just wanted, he just likes a big checklist and to go do the checklist. And that's, that's, I like it, being which, guided. That game yeah. gave me a lot of anxiety. I played it with my best friend over the course of several months. Cause I had to go away for university and whatnot. So then I was kind of like, Oh, you're going to have to wait like four months to <laughs> come back and finish this game <laughs> um but like i made her play the whole thing even though it was my game because like i find zelda games really hard zelda wind waker was my very first console game and i still have not beaten it it's been wow. so many years and it was my first one and i get to the triforce shards every time and then i'm also really silly about it because i know there are new versions of it that streamline that, that part that has yeah yeah and i don't want to play them because i want to beat the original one and like i spent I so many get years I getting get stuck there you know like i yeah. i just want to but i'm never gonna do it also yeah. So I'm just I, never going to play another Zelda game until the end. <laughs> until the end. Until <laughs> and the I've tried Twilight one. Princess. I I saw my friend finish Breath of the Wild. So I made her play all of it. And just watching it gave me anxiety. I'm like, how do people play this? Because like, it's every nightmare compacted into like one game for me. Just sort of not guided exploration. Too much freedom. Um, puzzles. Uh, yeah, it's so it's so much creativity involved in the things that you can do, and my sure. pea-sized brain is just like, no, I, like, I you think, can set the grass on fire, but like yeah. that only happens in real life. Yeah, like here, here's the thing with with Breath of the Wild that I still love because all of that is true. Like you're you're right. When I first 
I think the first two hours of that game, I was pretty sure I, I didn't like it. I was like, I don't know if I like this game because <laughs> and then it became your old time favorite. Because everything breaks. I pick up a twig and I hit someone with it and it breaks. I'm like, fuck this. And then I get the powers and the powers seem kind of fussy to me. And I'm like, fuck this. And I got to do a bunch of stuff before I can glide out of this area. And I'm like, fuck this. Um, yeah, I got to cook a bunch of shit to restore my health. Okay. Fuck this. And at some point it became a symphony to me where it, it all kind of made sense all at once and it never, it never stopped making sense or stopped giving me new information that allowed me to play it better. My favorite thing about that game is that four years later, there are Twitter People accounts are that'll still post stuff discovering that, like, things. discovering shit that you can do. Um, yeah, it's you can incredible. Set, you can set a dragonfly on fire with a torch. Yeah, I saw like, that. You, you know, like all the stuff that people are doing with the physics in that game and trick shots and um, just wild skips in the shrines, but then also like little things, like little discoveries of NPCs. Um, you know, I played that game through twice without finding the deity that revives horses. If you, if a horse dies, like that is something that like not everybody found. And I I think that kind of sense of discovery and the scale of that game uh, continued to impress me. It's just one of those games that I play almost like an MMO. Like I will go back to it and just do, do some stuff and then stop. And then I, I reload it and it's just kind of a gift that keeps on giving, but I do, I do. I I even think it's probably the best, made game ever like or like at least one of them for sure yeah i mean the the harmony of the symphony i mean the harmony of the symphonies the harmony (laughs) of the systems at work in that game is really impressive because um i saw uh i'm not even gonna say who it is but i remembered exactly who it was i saw someone describe that game as playing like skyrim at some point and Wasn't that like a common descriptor when it first came out? Like people were like, "Oh, Legend of yeah, Zelda." It, it was it was a common descriptor, but I'm surprised that four years later people are still oh, saying it's a risk, this. Yeah, yeah, and and it's like, way different. No, no, and also like the systems in Skyrim are hilariously, famously not in concert with one another. I mean that mm-hmm. like is part of what makes that game so funny in a way. Um, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe the best comedy game series of all time is the Elder Scrolls, um, just with how wonky it can get. And that's not even to its discredit. Like, I think that stuff is really funny. And I, I hope that that's always kind of a staple of those games. But um, yeah, the harmony of the systems in, in Breath of the Wild are amazing. And I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm so happy it got the love it got. This yeah. week at, on its birthday, so yeah, just like so, it, it's been such a big week for my timeline being filled to the brim with just Breath of the Wild tweets, yeah. and I love seeing it. Like I love seeing people's love for this game. Yeah. Like whenever you talk about it and how much you love it, I get happy. So I'm yeah. like, I don't know why it didn't click for me, but I absolutely yeah. get why it is considered the best game of all time for so many people, and it is such. Like, I just, one of my wishes, I have some wishes that I'm like, I wouldn't think of these, like if I had a genie sort of and and a lamp right now, like these are not wishes that I would, you know, that are at the forefront of my mind, but there are some that I really want that aren't about me. Like 
I wish I could see how that game was developed, even like the streamlined version. Um, Because I can't help but, like, I look at that game and I'm like, how much crunch was involved in this? And how much of it was it? And, like, how did people come up with such creative tiny details that make this world just sing and come alive every time that you turn it on and how were the the decisions made how is all of this made like it's almost i don't quite believe that game is real it is but i don't believe that it is i I know what you mean because i don't know how the qa loop worked for that game because i i want to know how that team was structured i want to know i want to know like Mm -hmm how information flowed down and up through those, those conversations about like what systems broke, which ones are going to remain the same. Reminds me a little bit of uh, Harvey Smith and Raph Colantonio who uh, were with arcane. Uh, mm-hmm. Harvey Smith is still with arcane, but they came to speak at a thing I went to once and they were talking about that the design of dishonored, which is, you know, an immersive SIM first person. You have these systems and superpowers that interact with the world and they were talking about their QA flow where someone would break something and they basically had to decide whether or not breaking it was basically fine or whether mm-hmm. it was something that they needed to fix. And with an immersive sim like that, they decided more times than not that what was on paper a broken system or an exploit or whatever mm-hmm. was basically just a way to just you know to basically rip that game open in a new and interesting way and they wanted to foster that kind of creativity the legend of zelda breath of the wild is amazing because like i i i wouldn't describe i know there are some like wacky exploits you can do with like uh the 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 stasis stuff and hitting Mm -hmm. stuff and and the physics i know there are exploits but like I don't see a whole lot of the systems as being ever really broken. And no, they are crafted specifically yeah. to be broken, which then doesn't make them broken. Right. And I just don't understand from a, a a logistical standpoint about how that team was constructed and managed, how that just mm-hmm. shipped as frankly perfectly as it was right Um, right there's so many things that feel so organic and like like you said there's still people discovering new things about that game every day and yet at the same time things feel so deliberately like like i know the thread that you're talking about where you saw the dragonfly thing because um i think that thread is by Tristan Cooper who also runs can you pet a dog or can you pet the dog um, that account on Twitter and one of the first uh, tweets in that thread and maybe the one that I most remember is that there is so much deliberate framing in that game in terms of the structures that are in it like so Hyrule Castle there is this um I don't know if you know the tweet that I'm talking about exactly, but like there's this tweet about how you can see Hyrule Castle through this opening, this very precise opening in like the beginning area. Yeah, the temple. And I'm like, how is this so (laughs) in like crafted to the smallest details, but at the same time, it doesn't feel like 
an experience that is crafted to the tiniest degree but that is like like that was like like people thought of this and they implemented right. it and it looks as incredible as it does and it functions as incredibly as it does like i am just mystified by that game every day and even though it didn't click with me i i just think about it all the time and i'm like how I can't believe human beings made this. Like there are a lot of things yeah. that make me feel that way, but maybe more than any of them, Breath of the Wild. I'm like, how do humans make this kind of thing? We yeah. are too powerful to make this sort of thing <laughs> because it is so sublime. It is so beautiful. It is so complex. And I just, I don't get how human beings can make something like this. I, I know that people have made things like that and that humanity and so many civilizations have made even bigger things like entire, you know, societies. We're not going to compare Breath of the Wild to entire societies that have run for <laughs> thousands of years, right? But I'm still like, how? How do people make this? And so yeah. that's how I just, that's how I see that game. I just, What's I so love finding out more about it. What's so unfortunate is that like Nintendo is so closed off about how those yes. things happen. And I, you know, like the, I think the tragedy is that we may never really understand that. I mean, like we, we go through all these anniversaries with Nintendo, you know, 35 years of Mario uh, last year. And then obviously 35 years of Zelda this year and, and things like that. These milestones go by without a lot of, uh, like introspection and reflection from Nintendo themselves. Like even the packages that they put together for these anniversary packages are just like bare bones without a whole lot of like information. Mm -hmm. And with that, yeah. with that all-star pack for, for Mario, <laughs> I would have loved to have had like a, you know, long form documentary about yeah, Mario 64 and then how different sun sunshine was and the risks they took in, in galaxy. But we just don't see that stuff. And, and, um, you know, oddly enough, like our, I feels like our best bet is like Danny O'Dwyer with no clip, like trying to get something yes. together like that. But it's like, I don't, I don't know if we're ever going to get anything like that from Nintendo. And that's, that is sad. I hope someday they, they kind of change their tune on that stuff because when they have done brief glimpses into kind of behind the scenes, scene stuff, um, most notably maybe with like Sakurai and the smash team, um, mm -hmm. it's been really interesting. I just, I wish they would do more. Yeah, I especially think of Breath of the Wild in a post-cyberpunk, oh you know, my God. industry. Oh my God. Yeah, because like I just I, I I look at that game and I I don't I can't disagree with people who are like, you know, maybe Nintendo isn't open about it, but do you really think that team didn't crunch to make right. that game? Sure. And so, I, and I can't just you know like pretend that that is not a really a very real possibility and that that is yeah. likely the case even um and it just makes me think like what did it take to make this game and, and i think i think nintendo has a better culture than cd project red at least from what we do know but i mean maybe i'm wrong and maybe that game just took a lot out of the people on that team and we'll never know and so i wonder how different that game and its legacy would be if we actually knew like we know of cyberpunk and it's and also there's i mean there's there are so many big differences right like first of all <laughs> legend of zelda breath of the wild actually works well <laughs> and runs well <laughs> and like is finished and like you know um but the base notion of 
me wishing that I knew what the development on that team was like and yeah. what it took from that team is very much something that is still it comes up in my brain every time that I see anything about Breath of the Wild. I'm like, this is this is too magical. Like, what did it take out of this team to make something like this? And we'll never know. Um, we'll never really know what exactly went on in CD Projekt Red either, but we will know more than we will probably ever know from Nintendo. And yeah. you know, it, it makes me it makes me sad. Yeah, it does me too. It does me too. Natalie, I think we're going to wrap it up. Um, thank you for hanging out. I really appreciate your time. I'm going to I'm going to bug you about sending me K-pop songs. Afterwards. Oh, my God, please, because now I'm really excited to send okay. you my favorite. Yeah, I need to be I need to be sucked into this world um, and to, to try to understand it because I don't. But I would <laughs> like to. Um, where can people uh, find you online? Uh, you can find me at Hardy Misa. That's heart I M E C I A. I don't talk about K-pop publicly too much, um, but I do I talk about actually. Dead by Daylight sometimes. Oh, you know what? You know what? You know what? what? I do have a question from the Discord. I need to ask you. I forgot Ooh. about this. Okay, we have a question from the Discord from Taylor, our wonderful Hi, Taylor. community leader, Taylor. What are your three top reaction images that you use? Uh, first has to be the, the duck one of the, the shady, one. slutty duck one. The slutty duck, slutty daffy which, duck. Okay. Yeah. Which I, the way that I name my reaction images, I just spam things or I just put like a very basic word. So that one is actually named bird. <laughs> <laughs> so I know like when I want to use it, I just write, I just type B and it takes me to bird. <laughs> it is a bird <laughs> I'm, I'm absolutely dying at the legacy of daffy fucking duck warner brothers reduced to bird, bird on your slutty slutty daffy duck reaction images that's incredible um so that is that is my energy that one is my number one um number two picking you know it's like picking children um right i have so many of them you do have so many you have a massive folder of them yes i do like um let's see i do like this one of trisha paytas that i have where she's just like clutching her throat and just like crying that's a Mm -hmm. moon Mm -hmm. um I also, yeah, I don't know if it's like my second one. I like any, if they have a gun. Yeah, you're a big fan of the gun. Yeah, Yeah. like like Aerith holding a gun. Ellie from The Last of Us 2. I have have one of Aymeric from Final Fantasy XIV, which is a a free trial that you can play up to level 60, and that includes the base game and the first (laughs) expansion, Heaven's Ward, which Aymeric is in. Um, I have several of him holding a gun. Uh, Yeah, so I I do like the gun ones. They have just a variety of energy. I have also a lot of Yoshi P ones, Naoki Yoshino ones. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I try to be a little more careful about using those because I'm like, what if Square Enix contacts me and is like, please stop using Yoshida as a reaction (laughs) image. Um, And let's see. If I had to pick another one, I guess it might be... uh, Ah, I forgot this little dude's name from Animal Crossing, the penguin. 
Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, with, with the... Oh, my God, I, I'm so sorry. I forgot his name, and he is one of my favorites. I'm just absolutely blanking right now. But um, just uh, his his big eyes just convey It's rolled. So rolled. Ro- rolled, yes, rolled. Yep. His eyes just convey so much. And so I like this one. Wait, where I just kind of like... Uh, it's just staring. Uh-huh. Into it's the just distance. his. It's just his big ass head. Kind of yeah, into the and distance. his big yeah. ass eyes. So yeah. I, I mean, also like one of Ariana Grande. It's a, it's a GIF slash GIF where she's just like, um, and what about it? And that's just yeah. big that's energy. A, so I have so many favorites. I, I really can't pick certain ones, but I will say that like. Even if it's a stranger that's kind of like, oh, hey, or, or like someone that I, not a total stranger, but just an acquaintance that I'm mutuals with and that I don't know well. If they message me and they're like, hey, do you have a reaction image for this vibe? Which has happened. I am so happy to send reaction images so that people yeah. have one for the vibe that they want. And chances are 99.9% of the time, I do have a reaction image for whatever vibe you want. You so do. like if yeah. you need, you know, a specific vibe, I got you. If we know each other, even if just like we're just mutuals, just feel free to DM me and I'm happy to go into my folder of children and oh, oh, wait, no, no, no. Okay. 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 My, okay. I know my first favorite and my second favorite is okay. okay I can't pick a third favorite. That's my fine. second favorite is Kamala Harris being like, we did it, Joe. <laughs> we did it. And her laughing on her phone too. Just, I love that and I use it so much. Okay, so those are, I would say, my two favorite ones. Okay. And I can't pick a third. Oh, no, it's fine. Third you've you've given us every day. You've given us a lot of options here. But Thank um you. Thank you. I will Thank never you. forget the bird thing. I will never forget <laughs> that. I'm gonna tell a million people oh, that story. Oh my god. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, no, what a service you provide. You you will provide that for mutuals over at Heart Amicia over on I Twitter. I do. Sorry for the clicking noises, but I am taking screenshots. Oh, it's okay. Look. That's the funniest fucking thing I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That might be, that might be uh, a social art this week for the show. Um, that's amazing. Just bird. Um, all right, Natalie, thanks so much for dropping it by. Thank you for having me, John. All Guys parent company Tonic Games Group has reached an agreement to be purchased by Epic Games, the company behind Fortnite, the Epic Games Store, and one of 2020's most brutal public legal feuds. Devolver Digital was responsible for the initial publishing of Fall Guys for PC and PlayStation 4, but have now backed away from future releases. Fall Guys will come to Xbox One and Nintendo Switch soon. Fall Guys joins Rocket League and, of course, Fortnite as service games with large age-spanning audiences owned by Epic Games. Fortnite and Rocket League are now both free to play and conventional wisdom would tell us fall guys is in route for the same fate but nothing has been announced this purchase does however drastically increase the chances of seeing the joker and john wick in the little bean outfits 2020 featured two next-gen game console releases and a glimpse, perhaps, into what could be the future of video game pricing with some titles, like the next-gen version of NBA 2K21 getting a $70 tag instead of the $60 consumers have been used to for several generations. Take-Two CEO Strauss Zelnick took to the Morgan Stanley Technology Media and Telecom Conference 
bet that's a fun bunch, to say that this price hike should be expected, as it's been 15 years since prices across the board jumped, and that gamers are ready to make this leap. Zelenik is not uh, committing to every game that released in the next gen getting the $70 price tag, but is indicating this should be the generally accepted future moving forward. These are pretty tough sentiments coming from a person worth $200 million, uh, especially a year into a global pandemic and economic disaster, but I guess he would know better than the rest of us about what we're ready to pay for. That's going to do it for this week's episode of Thanks for the Knowledge. Uh, thanks so much to Imran Khan for stopping by to talk about the Nintendo Switch Pro. Thank you so much to Natalie Flores for giving me her time to talk about K-pop and, and reaction images. And I don't know, that was a great conversation. Um, if you want to check out all of our wonderful podcasts, you can do so over at podcastnet.work. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can at Floppy Adult. If you want to follow our wonderful producer, Paul Tamayo, you can do that over on Twitter at Polymayo. Uh, thanks so much for joining us leave us a nice review uh five stars i don't know just just help us out spread the word we we love making this show and uh until next week you're welcome